Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm here with Dan Madigan and Daniel Connolly, as always. Um, we've got a lot of exciting stuff to talk about, including two sports that are just getting started for their spring seasons. First of all, men's soccer, uh, a team shrouded in mystery, but uh, played its first game of the season. Uh, 3-0 win over Sacred Heart. Um, I mean, obviously, very interesting that they're having a spring season and, and doing it all this way. We talked on the last podcast about, you know, how we see the league shaping up. Um, Connolly, what do you think about the team and, and this start to the season? Yeah, it is a little tough to tell because they haven't played since November of 2019. And even during the game, they mentioned they hadn't played on campus since November of 2018. So it's been a long time since we've heard really anything about the UConn men's soccer team. And going in, it was kind of tough. I was talking with our men's soccer writer, Patrick. We were just struggling to even figure out who was going to start because there's so many new faces and we really don't know who is improved dramatically since then either so we saw their first game they played Sacred Heart and I still don't feel like we have a great indication of who they are as a team because Sacred Heart was one of the worst college soccer teams I've ever seen they were terrible they never threatened UConn at all UConn basically held the lion's share of possession I don't know what the number was but it was very very heavily favored to UConn a couple interesting things from the game was that they added a transfer goalie from fairly Dickinson Jamali weight, which is interesting. He started the game against sacred heart. He also started the exhibition they played previously against UNH. And just the thing I found weird about that was that their previous goaltender, John Luca Catalano is still with the program. He's on the roster. He's a junior. He was partially a starter as a freshman. He was the full-time starter as a sophomore until he got injured and missed the end of the season. So we haven't heard anything about him. I'm wondering if maybe he's injured and that's what prompted the coaching staff to go out and get a player like wait, who can come in and start because to me, it doesn't make sense why you would go out and get a guy who can come in and start when you've gotten someone like Catalano, who's proven that he's a very, very capable goaltender, unless maybe they were concerned about injury issues or something like that. But even still, I found it a little bizarre. And we also didn't see Ibrahima Jope, who you may know him as the freshman who scored the hat trick in UConn's amazing comeback against URI in the 2018 NCAA tournament. He didn't even play at all, which makes me think that he's got to be hurt because from at least what we saw, they didn't really seem to play with a true forward. They had Musa Wad, who played a lot of last season kind of as an attacking midfielder behind a striker. He was their main striker. And then they also had Benawashi, who was, who was now a sophomore, but mostly played midfield last year. He played some forward. So it didn't seem like they were really playing with a true forward. And Jope is a true forward. So it seems weird that they di didn't have him out there, which leads me to believe that he must be injured in some regard. But other than that, I mean, for the opponent, I thought UConn played pretty well. They scored three goals and as we know, UConn can sometimes have issues scoring in the beginning of the year. And someone that really, really impressed me was freshman Giancarlo Vaccaro. He, I think, might be their best attacker. He was absolutely fantastic. He mostly played on the left wing. He's just got a ton of speed, has really good foot skills, was UConn's most dangerous player going down the field and caused a lot of issues for Sacred Heart's defense. So I'm 
very excited to see how he continues to develop after just one game of having seen him. It's for, from what I've seen from him, he's the most talented attacker that UConn's brought in. And as a freshman, since I've been following the team starting at my freshman year in 2016. So he's got a ton of potential in my eyes and, I think it's going to be just really exciting to see what kind of player he can become even just this season. Yeah. Great about the team. I mean, I know they're on a little bit of, um, of a rough stretch uh, in terms of how they're going and we'll, we'll keep tabs on how that's going. That goes. Um, they also played their first game in the new stadium, correct? How'd that yeah. Look? The new stadium looks absolutely awesome. The, there were a couple issues not to dwell on the negative points, but you can't really see the corners from where the camera was situated. So that's something to work out, but the new stadium overall just looks absolutely fantastic. It, it was a little tough to get the sense of it just because like the entire bleachers on the opposite side of the field from where the camera was, were completely like covered in snow. They weren't unburied at all. And there were giant snow piles all around the field, but either way, it's a very, very nice facility. And Unlike old Moroni Stadium, which just had the two sets of bleachers on either side of the field, now it's enclosed on three ends, and it just feels like it has a, from what I can see, feels like it's a more intimate atmosphere, and it's a little bit smaller than old Moroni, but also just having the backdrop of the RZA Performance Center alongside, it's just a very, very nice-looking stadium, and I think has got to be one of the nicer college soccer stadiums out there. Nice. Well, we know piles of snow are, of course, a classic uh, part of the backdrop in stores, especially for spring sports. So welcome to spring sports, soccer. You always know if there's a field uh, somewhere in the corner, there's a pile of snow um, pushed out of view. So um, that's that's great, though. Again, you know that I, they were supposed to play their first games in the new stadium last year. So <clears throat> wait, nope, just kidding. Last year they in played the the, yeah in the fall, and that's when that got. Uh, they lost that that opportunity, so delayed delayed opening of the stadium. But uh, good to see that it, it's looking good. Speaking of teams that are starting a new season and opening a new stadium, UConn baseball is going to be underway uh, as of this weekend. They'll play a season opening series at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. The Huskies were picked to finish first in the conference in the preseason poll, which came out on Wednesday um, and uh, from the looks of it, including coverage of, of from multiple national publications, it seems like there's a lot of interest around how the Huskies are gonna perform this year. Yeah, I think this is pretty easily one of the most talented squads that UConn has had in recent memory, especially depth wise. Jim Penders had a quote I saw the other day where he said it's at least as talented and has as much depth as that 2011 team that went to the super regionals that had George Springer, Matt Barnes, Nick Ahmed, Scott Oberg, those guys. And obviously they have a very, very long way to match that team's potential, but I think it just kind of shows you to shows you what kind of talent they've collected. And today Jim Penders talked with the media and he said that they have 40 guys on the team that, all think that they can start either in the lineup or pitch in key spots for the team. And they have to leave 19 players home for this first road trip, which is a huge number. Normally their squad is not that deep to a point where most of the roster decisions on who travels and who doesn't aren't 
all that difficult this year. It seems like Penders and his staff are going to have a lot of trouble picking that travel group. So I think it's, if there's ever a season to have a very deep group, it's this year with, as we've seen all the various COVID issues going on and how much you're going to need depth. And just in general, it seems like injuries are up across all the sports this season for whatever reason. So I think it's a very, very exciting team. And it also helps that they have some very high end talent on it. I mean, Ben Kasparius, some of the things I've heard about him are just jaw dropping. I mean, UConn's had some really, really good pitchers over the last few years and Apparently he is just as good, if not more talented than some of those guys like Anthony Kay, Mason Fioli, Tim Kate, guys who were all either going to be top draft picks or would have been top draft picks without injury issues. So it's a very exciting prospect. They have a deep staff and they also just have a million field players that I think are going to, they're going to have enough guys where they can just kind of mix and match whoever's the best matchup, whoever's hot at the plate, those type of things. So I think the main guy to talk about in the lineup would be Reggie Crawford, who one of the most talented freshmen that Jim Penders has ever brought to stores last year. He had a very, very strong start to the year before the season ended. Obviously I listened to a podcast with Penders at some point over the off season where he said that they've never really had a player of Crawford's talent that they really didn't even know how to use him last year. They just kind of threw him out there and let his talent do the work. But now that they've had him here for over a year, they've got a better sense of how to handle him and how to really get as much as they can out of him. So I think they've got some very high end talent guys. And I think every year that they say that, they want to get to Omaha, but in terms of talent, I think this is a team that actually has a shot of getting there instead of just hoping to get there. Yeah, Dan, I'm excited about Kasparius. I know he transferred uh, to UConn from North Carolina. Obviously, North Carolina is one of the top baseball programs in the country, so excited to see what he can bring to the table. He, I believe he was trying to get a waiver to play last year uh, and be immediately eligible, but was denied, and obviously this was before COVID and before the NCAA was accepting waivers left and right, but um, he's probably the most surprising omission from the preseason all-conference team, right? Just given the pedigree that he has. Granted, he hasn't produced at the college level yet, but uh, certainly has the stuff to be one of the top pitchers in the Big East, but didn't make the list. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think some of it just has to do with the fact that he hasn't pitched and UConn's also new in the Big East, so it's not like teams I mean I imagine teams are aware of him but I think they're gonna reward the players that were here last year that performed last year as opposed to a newcomer as talented as he may be but yeah I'd be very surprised if by the end of the season he didn't end up on the all big east team yeah and just to go through the list here uh so for UConn's representatives for the preseason all big east team there's four huskies in total uh Reggie Crawford's there at DH Caleb Worcester is there as a left-handed pitcher. He's, you know, one of the Huskies' best relievers. And the Fedco brothers, Christian and Kyler, are at second base and outfield, res- respectively. Uh, Kyler was also named co-Big uh, East Preseason Player of the Year. He hit 412 last season. My favorite stat is that he hit, I think it was either 700 or 670 in high school, which is just, you can't even do that in a video game. So uh, those are some gaudy numbers. But obviously a lot of talent in a weaker conference than the American in terms of baseball. but uh, seems like the non-conference schedule is going to be strong enough to kind of offset that and, and give you kind of a chance to sneak in as an at-large bid, even if they aren't able to win the conference tournament. 
Right. And then even another guy who didn't make the all big East team, Pat Winkle catcher last year, he missed the season after undergoing Tommy John surgery, but he's a really, really good player on both sides. He's a strong defensive catcher. Penders has really praised his development as a receiver and as a framer. And he's also got a big bat. He's probably, if he's not catching games, he's definitely going to be in the DH slot. So the Yankees picked him out of high school and there was never a chance that he was going to sign but he, he definitely has the attention of big league clubs and he's probably going to be a higher draft pick once the MLB draft comes around this spring. And I think we should talk about this, this schedule that they're taking on, um, you know, for, for those who might not be even as familiar with this program um, because of the nature of baseball and it being an outdoor sport. And as we discussed the piles of snow that happen to be in stores, um, you know, even through the start of the spring season, UConn baseball routinely plays what about a third of its games, first games entirely on the road. Um, so that's how they, they start their season always. That's how they've been doing it for uh, as long as I can remember. But um, what's unique about it this year is that they're, they're playing a lot of very good teams. So we mentioned season opening series at Virginia, uh, they'll be at Southern Miss the next weekend. Uh, they'll be in a tournament with uh, Davidson in Coastal Carolina, a former national champion, uh, at Texas Tech. So they're really going up against some some heavy hitters uh, at the start of the season. And obviously anything can happen, and it's it's not um, you know determinant of anything for postseason success. But um, there's going to be some some big series for the team uh, right off the bat. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest differences this year compared to years past is I think they're going to be way more prepared just to even play games because with Elliott ballpark now open and having a turf field, they've actually been able to practice outside for not only the entire fall, but pretty much all year round, as long as the snow gets cleared and it's not zero degrees, which it hasn't been. And usually they're practicing either in Shankman or in the Tallinn bubble leading up to that first game. And the first game that they play is usually the first time they even step foot on a baseball diamond. So I think it's just very good for them that they've had experience on the field. Pender said that sometimes in the first series, their outfielders have trouble tracking fly balls just because they're not used to seeing them against the sky. So a lot of those built-in disadvantages that they've had in the past, they don't have that this year. They not only are more talented, it seems like they're going to be more prepared for everything. And I think these opening series are going to be really exciting to see how they do just because it'll be a great measuring stick for the team. And I think the, you want the bet, you want to play the better teams when you can, just because once you get to the NCAA tournament, they're all going to be good teams. So if you can get that experience under your belt and you know what it's like against guys that are going to be pitching at the next level and, really good hitters. It's just very good learning experiences. And then the more wins you get, the better your NCAA tournament resume is. Like if you lose these games, it doesn't knock your RPI or anything like that, but you can really only help yourself with wins in these games. Yeah. And the cool thing is, is you kind of alluded to this, Dan, is that with LA ballpark being turf and, and, you know, not having any major drainage issues, they're going to be able to play their home games, even the ones in, in early March. Um, or late March, excuse me, at home. They don't have to go to Long Island or, you know, play at UHAR or, or any other places uh, to play their home games. So 
I think that's going to be exciting. I think they're going to have a real home field advantage, whether or not fans are allowed at LA ballpark this year, but uh, it's just really cool. You know, that was always the the first sign the baseball season was here was when the home opener at JOC got rained out or snowed out and got postponed. Right. So uh, it'll be cool for them to be able to play their games. Hopefully um, there won't be any COVID related issues or anything else that, that causes any hiccups, but should be an exciting season. And this also very lovely ballpark, right? We, we love Elliot, Elliot field at wait. Elliot ballpark. Okay. There's a field. Is there a field name too? Is it one of those things or no? No, I think they, they, they just cast JOC to the side, which I was going to kind of ask about <laughs> what that happened. Like, but we passed the statute on honoring JOC. No, no, J.O. Christian Field is now what the soccer practice field is called. Uh, yeah. That's in the same location. And Pender said something like J.O. Christian wasn't just a baseball coach. He was like an athletic director and he did a lot of things. So Penders thinks it's fitting that the new practice field is still going to be J.O. Christian. It's sacred ground. They couldn't they couldn't move it to um, like that area has to be for for J.O. Christian. It couldn't couldn't move <laughs> with the new ballpark. That makes sense whatever we need, but yeah, no, new, uh, new field. We're excited for the baseball team. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I, we're, we're doing the best we can here, but, um, you know, there should be a lot of excitement, especially around the early part of the season. And then if, if, if it allows in the future to be able to, um, even catch a game, but, uh, if, if we're talking about the most talented UConn team in about 10 years, um, and they're playing a really, really great schedule. I think there's there's a lot to like about that. We'll take a quick break and then get into some hoops. All right, moving on to basketball. The UConn women's hoops team is now ranked number one in the country. Ninth year in a row that Gino and his program have been able to accomplish that in a season, which is absolutely absurd. Um, I'd say this is probably the latest in a season that this has happened in a while. I don't have exact data on that. We'll have the fact checkers double check that one, but we've got Paige Beckers on an absolute tear writing, writing that first chapter of her legend. The Huskies beat South Carolina in overtime. And, and, and after that, we're expecting them to cruise through the rest of the big East season, but thoughts on thoughts on the Huskies reaching number one, beating South Carolina uh, and, and, what, what we're thinking about the future holds. Yeah. Well, I think the big thing is that I feel like UConn actually deserves to be number one this year. I don't really think there's a clear cut top team in the country. Unlike last year, where there were three teams that were clearly above the rest this year, all, pretty much every team's dropped a game or two here. And UConn luckily hasn't lost to an unranked team. Their only loss was to Arkansas, who was 17 and, Last year, they only ended up at number one just because they hadn't played anyone tough yet and everyone else had lost and they just kind of fell backwards into that spot. Whereas this year, they've been a good team and they beat the number one team in the country to get to that spot. So I think it's very deserved. And yeah, I think we're just running out of things to say about Paige Beckers. She is just absolutely phenomenal. There is a stat that in the last five minutes or overtime of games decided by single digits she had scored 24 of UConn's 30 points Damn. and had only missed one shot and was like four or four from three like when the pressure's at its highest she just doesn't even flinch she was unbelievable against South Carolina I think she scored their last 13 points 
and obviously just had one of the most incredible shots I've ever seen where in the final seconds, UConn's up one, she launches this three from the top of the key as the shot clock's going down. It bounces five feet in the air and comes straight down through the rim and basically seals the game. It was just absolutely an incredible shot from her and her first three-pointer of the game too. So I think there's just so many different ways to describe how good she is, but I think she's not only as good as advertised, I think she's way better than advertised too. She's just an absolute stud and is definitely in contention to not only be an All-American, but to be the National Player of the Year too. She's been that good. Yeah, the thing that surprised me with her, Dan, is that how consistent she's been so far. I mean, she's had stretches within games where her three-point shot has kind of struggled or fallen off, but she's pretty much always delivered when UConn's needed points in a lot of points, um, even in the biggest games. I, I was really impressed with how she played against Tennessee and South Carolina, and she can finish at the rim. She's a pretty solid three-point shooter. Uh, she's a little streaky at times, but, you know, she's still exceptional. But her ability to, to create shots off of the dribble, uh, as well as come off of screens for those catch-and-shoot three-pointers or mid-range jumpers, it's just a really developed and refined game that I personally didn't know that she had. I thought she was kind of more of a, a slasher in, in, as opposed to a pure shooter and scorer. But she is honestly inc- incredible, probably one of the best pure shooters that we've had since, you know, Katie Lou Samuelson or Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis. But she's so much more than that. She also contributes a ton on the defensive end. She's got good length. Uh, can get into the passing lanes for some easy steals. And she's a great passer. She loves to help get her teammates involved as well. Um, It's been a while since UConn's had a dynamic scoring and offense facilitating point guard. Um, I know Sue Bird is the comparison in terms, but she wasn't really as good of an offensive player. I think Renee Montgomery is actually pretty close or even Bria Hartley at a lesser scale, but Beckers has just been unbelievable and it's crazy that she's a freshman and that UConn has, you know, could have, it's very unlikely, but could have four more years if she, for some reason, decided to stay for all five years. Um, But it's exciting to see her play, see what she's going to do the rest of the season. And for when her teammate, Azzy Fudd comes uh, next year, could be the best backcourt that UConn's ever had and that's saying something and it's crazy just to think about that but it's certainly in contention at this point in time yeah I think her killer instinct is what you have to be you know so impressed by uh the fact that UConn even even when she's a freshman is going to her in these key moments against big teams against big rivals um it's it's absolutely incredible it's something the team seems like it it missed has missed has been missing on the roster since the last championship uh, maybe is, is someone who does. And to your point, Madigan, I mean, just about the, the talent level, uh, you know, with respect to FUD coming in and, you know, not just Beckers, but the rest of the freshman class around her, but you have to think this is probably the worst they'll be, so to speak over the next four, five years. Um, you know, even again, even if they don't stay for all that long, um, Fudd and Beckers together for as long as that lasts is, is going to be insane. But um, even this, this group of freshmen together for four years uh, are going to clearly do very good things. And they're, they're already such key parts of the team, which is so impressive when you think about just re- remember that they don't have a norm. They didn't have a normal off season. They've had to 
all these starts and stops to this weird, weird season. The way the the way the freshmen are playing right now, it's so impressive. And um, to think that they have upside in a season where they're hitting number one, that they have so much more room to grow and climb. It's um, you know, it's it really is something. Right. I mean, next season, they're bringing back the entire roster if nobody leaves. They don't have any seniors. The only one that I think is even a possibility to leave early would be Avina Westbrook if she goes to the WNBA draft. But they're bringing everyone back. And then they're also bringing in a 2021 class that has, as you mentioned, AZ Fudd, who before Paige started playing, there had been some people that had said that she's not only supposed to be as good as Paige, she might be better than Paige. I think that's a very, very high bar to get to, but I think it also just illustrates how good AZ could be. And then also you have Caroline Ducharm, who's supposed to be a very good player, Sailor Poffenbarger, who is already here, and I think is that's going to help her immensely next year. And then you have another big coming in, in Amari DeBerry. So you've just got a ridiculous amount of depth next season. I think I've seen it both across the women's team and the men's team that just to me, with such a weird offseason, I don't really feel like any of the returners developed that significantly, at least compared to a normal season. So I think by next, by as much as the entire team develops through the end of this year and then moving on to next year and how much every player that's on the team right now is going to develop before next November, it's a very, very scary prospect. And I think UConn's going to look like those mid-2010s team of old where they're really not losing many games over the course of years than they have been the last five or so years. Yep, and to, to refocus on this season, I mean, they've got a handful of Big East games that that they are, you know, who's the toughest toughest team on the balance of the schedule this season finale against Marquette um, yeah. at home. So they'll, they'll, you know, they should be able to fly through the big East slate and then the big East tournament where they might meet DePaul again. And um, you know, tra- trap big trap game potential. Uh, but as we all know, but um, I mean, I just think it speaks to at least for this season, they'll probably hold on to number one top overall seed and all that stuff, which, which also will be, will be beneficial. So be sure to keep an eye on them as uh, things get heated up there, but Hey, really impressive for them to reach number one. I would say, you know, that's that streak, that streak was a little bit in question. You know, there, there was a possibility they go through this season, not being ranked number one. Um, You know, I'm sure everyone on this podcast would be able to live with themselves after that. But we know that there are segments of the fan base that uh, might really have a hard time with it. So uh, it's, it's an accomplishment worth celebrating for, for this team. I think, again, the program is so successful that we, it's hard to like uh, fully give credit to when credit is due uh, to them sometimes, I, I think. Um, so they deserve, they deserve a big gold star for, for hitting number one, for sure. Right. And I think it also just kind of shows there's really not many, I, there's a lot of teams that I think are kind of in contention. And I think UConn is one of those teams and UConn also has a very high ceiling, I think maybe compared to some of the other teams. So we've seen them develop pretty significantly in the last three weeks since they lost to Arkansas. I think this is a very different team than the one that lost to Arkansas. And the crazy thing is 
they basically have a third of their season left until the NCAA tournament. They've played 17 games and assuming every game that's on their schedule right now gets played and they play three games in the big East tournament. I think they still have eight games left. So there's a lot of time before they play the NCAA tournament. So I think there's going to be a lot more time for this team to continue to get better. And by March, even by the game against the 16 seed in March, I think this team is going to be in pretty good shape. All right. Moving on to the men's hoops team. We have a lot to talk about. We're very, we're feeling great folks, quite frankly, James book is back. UConn men's basketball is back again. Um, the team looks as good as we've seen it, which, which is very exciting. It's as healthy as it has been all year. And, and that's, you know, all season, even from the start, it's as healthy as it has been. Um, and we saw Tuesday night, you know, just, just how good it can be as they absolutely took it to Providence, played uh, just, you know, lovely offensive game that, that featured 18, 19 points from a returning James Booknight. I mean, he was just absolute electricity from the moment he got back on the floor. You know, it's, it's hard. We'll, we'll have to like reel ourselves in with our, how high we are flying after this, but just it, it's so clear that book night returning opened a lot of things up for a lot of people to just be more of themselves and to be more, um, you know, to have a, a, a workload that's more appropriate for them at this time. And I think it's just done, it's going to do wonders for the team. So big matchup coming up against Villanova Saturday, but I mean, I'm feeling as good as I, as I ever have about this team even after they got off to a really, really great start this year. Yeah, I think Dan Hurley borrowed a page from from Gino's playbook, which is just to have the best player on the floor uh, at, at pretty much all time. So that's what happens when James Booknight is back in the lineup. Uh, it really just changed how Providence had to defend UConn, and it just opened things up for a few, a few of UConn's players. But the thing that kind of stu- stood out to me was that even though book Knight was back and, and still got his with his 18 points and, in, in, you know, just under 25 minutes, it didn't really change the way that RJ Cole and Tyrese Martin contributed. Tyrese Martin still had 18 points in 36 minutes. Um, according to Ken Palm's offensive rating, he was actually the best player for UConn. Um, even though book Knight was, you know, probably stole the show, but RJ Cole kind of continued to do what he was doing too. He played really well in the win against Xavier. He had 24 points. Uh, He just kept that going with a 13 point performance with five assists and just two turnovers. So I feel like over the last two games, Cole's really turned a corner. He's had 12 assists to just three turnovers. He's shooting six uh, for 10 from the three point line. And he's tacked on three steals while playing his usually stout defense on uh, what was a tough matchup with Providence's bigger guard. So I think. This absence from Book Night was obviously a bummer for this team and, and probably cost them a few wins that they would normally have. But it allowed Cole and Martin to develop a little bit more. And I think with Book Night coming back, if those three can kind of still continue to fire on all cylinders, this team can compete with anybody in the country. I, I think they could easily hang with Villanova on Saturday. And, you know, all it takes is. 20 to 30 minutes with a healthy James book night for you kind of be competitive with anyone. Right. I don't think we can overstate the difference that James book night makes just because we saw it 
against Providence, he's just so much better than everyone else on the floor when he's out there. The way he can basically score at will, it feels like his athleticism, everything. But I still feel like this team played the way it did against Providence because of RJ Cole. And I think we saw a glimpse of that against Xavier where UConn played pretty well against Xavier and the offense didn't look the like the stagnant, slow, painful to score offense that it was before. And I think a lot of that is because of RJ Cole. So if he can continue playing at this level and same with Tyrese Martin, and then you also add book Knight into the mix and also a cook, a cook into the mix and the way that Andre Jackson's playing, I think it's a completely different look than what we saw earlier in the season. I mean, that Creighton game, the only reason UConn was in that Creighton game was because James book Knight had 40 points. If, you take him out of the equation, UConn gets completely blown out. But now I think they're a much more well-rounded team where even if someone does take away book night, they still have other players that can score as long as those two keep this up. So I, it's a very exciting prospect. And I agree there's, they have the talent to really stick with anyone in the country. And I think it's the same on the men's side. There really isn't that many, there aren't that many standout teams. So as long as UConn can get itself into the tournament, I think I don't really know if maybe they have national ta- championship potential, but their potential is pretty close to that. Yeah. And I think something that got overshadowed with book Knight's return was how well the defense played in this second go around against Providence. And I think Isaiah Whaley, who's been a standout defender pretty much from the day he's come to campus here, uh, but he's certainly gotten better over his, his years here, uh, turned it on. He, he kind of got, bodied a little bit by Nate Watson in that game a few weeks ago. And he came back with, you know, a really strong classic Isaiah Whaley performance. He had four rebounds on the defensive end, six total and three blocks. And Josh Carlton played a few more minutes than the last Providence game and contributed two points and threw his weight around on the boards like he usually does. So I think that performance was really, really impressive. Uh, And I think when I was writing the preview for this game, that's, to me, that seemed like the biggest thing that UConn could do really easily, whether Book Knight played or not, was, you know, just have a better game from Isaiah Whaley, who struggled the first go around against Watson, but kind of figured him out and kept him in check the second time. I thought a cook a cook was going to be more of a factor for at least a few minutes, just because, you know, he's an elite defender. He's very lanky. He is just a bigger in sense in the sense of height and length of what Isaiah Whaley brings. So I thought he could give Watson some, some fits. Uh, Unfortunately, he only played a minute, but I think if this team continues to bring the pressure defensively, even if book Knight does have an off game, which I think will happen at some point, they're going to be able to stay in the game. So for perspective, the loss against Providence, they were scoring about 1.06 points per possession. Uh, This time around, they only scored 0.92. So that's, you know, an easy thing, a relatively easy thing that UConn, Dan Hurley, it's led by Isaiah Whaley, Isaiah Whaley and RJ Cole can control on a game-by-game basis and try and keep other teams in check and, and hope that Martin, Cole, Book Knight, maybe Whaley or Sonogo can get things going offensively and keep the team afloat. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the team as a whole is, is really dedicated to defense in a way that is admirable. I mean, even Book Knight plays hard defense, you know, to – Talk about the, you know, things that we're happy with, of course, book night returning and, and everything that they look like. But I think you also got to give the team credit one game before that, go out in the Xavier game and and grab that win because uh, things were things were looking like 
that they had hit rock bottom and that they would be rock bottom after the la after last week's loss at Providence. So I think just in general, the team has responded well. And then, um, you know, for book night, I mean, we really do need to talk about him just and what he did a little bit more like, you know, the second he got onto the court makes an assist for a layup uh, two seconds later, it seems put back dunk, um, you know, the, multiple stretches of hitting multiple baskets in a row, running jumpers, you know, driving into crowds of people and around and through them. Uh, some of the finishes like multiple reverse layups. Um, the thing that is, is standing out to me is like, we're, we're just not used to that. What you said at the beginning, at the beginning, Madigan of like, we have the best player on the court. Uh, that's, that has not really been a Yukon thing so much lately. I mean, you could say Jalen Adams had that against some of most of the AAC probably, but um, to really be in a situation where like against good teams, UConn is going to have the best player on the court and it's kind of not even going to be close. Um, it's, it's a crazy thing. And um, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm optimistic that they, if they close out strong and, and keep playing like this, it doesn't have to be continuous blowouts, but um, you know, as we had discussed, even when book night got hurt, we know the committee is going to be um, like understanding of like, if you're at full strength or not, or whatever, we knew that going into the weekend game against Xavier, UConn was probably off the bubble after losing to Providence. They played themselves back on with these two wins. I mean, you know, let's talk about postseason. I think, you know, the NCAA tournament should feel pretty good about. Um, and, and it's something where, Look, the Big East tournament, UConn can go in there, make it to the final, win it, maybe. We've seen it before. Um, they could even cop a decent seed and, and hop into the top 25 still. I think that that potential is there. Esteemed college basketball writer John Goodman already has UConn in his top 25. So um, I, I think just, you know, the, the reclaiming of the ceiling uh, of, of the – vast potential of this team, especially with a cook back. I do need, I think we need to follow up on why he got that one minute there, but um, yeah, man, I'm thinking tournament. I'm thinking one or two wins in the tournament and that would be amazing. We're back. Yeah. I mean, I think anything less of not only making the tournament, but even getting to the second round would be utterly disappointing and, yeah, there's no one in the Big East that UConn can't play with, even when they didn't have book night. It's not like they really got totally beat out of any of those games. They were in it and they had chances to flip the result in those games. And for one reason or another, it didn't happen. But yeah, you add book night into the mix. It's a completely different story. And I don't think, especially in the Big East, UConn should fear anyone. And I think playing Georgetown this week, or not Georgetown, Villanova this weekend is going to be a really, really interesting measuring stick just to see where this UConn team stands. And I don't think Villanova is as good of a team as we might've thought they were at the beginning of the season, but they're still probably the class of the Big East. And I think, I mean, it's tough without the fans, but it's hard to count out UConn in any tournament when you get to March, even if it's not the same head coach. And even if it's been a while, but with the way this team's playing and just the amount of talent that they have and the depth they have, 
I don't really think the seed matters. I mean, we saw in 2014, UConn landed the seven seed and they beat the Big East champion, the ACC champion, the SEC champion, the Big 12 champion, and the Big 10 champion or something like that. They'd be like five different champions on the way to the national championship. So I think at this point, it's just as long as UConn keeps getting better. And I think winning the Big East tournament would be huge. And that would be just an unbelievable step back, just another sign that everything's going well for Hurley and his program. But I think it would also be very good to see them do some damage in March because I think they absolutely have the potential and I don't want to throw a number out there and have like a certain baseline, but I think regardless of how they get in, it would be disappointing for them to finally get back and then just to get bounced in the first round. Yeah. I think if they can, you know, pull off a win on Saturday against Villanova and win a game or two in the big East tournament, I think they're firmly in the NCAA tournament field. Um, and they still might be firmly in the NCAA tournament field, but I think it's a no brainer if they can beat Villanova. That's another quality win to go along with USC. The Xavier win is pretty good. Uh, and that comeback against Marquette is pretty solid too, quite honestly. But, um, yeah, I think it all comes back to having book night healthy. And I think this is something where I, I imagine Hurley and, and book night probably in the team felt pressure to kind of rush him back, especially when, you know, the news kind of came out that he was cleared for full contact practices, but wasn't necessarily, you know, going to come into games, but credit to Hurley for listening to, you know, not only his staff, but book night surgeon uh, and everyone involved for kind of not rushing and easing into this to eliminate a serious chance of re-injury and allow book night to come back and look like he never lost a step at all. Uh, the, the rhythm and the feel for the game that he is so probably best known for aside from his athleticism was there. It was apparent from the first play, like you said, among where he had that steal uh, and dished it off for a layup. So it's really good to see that they did this the right way and, and made sure that he was healthy. And I think that's going to, pay serious dividends come March. Um, I know that he did end up leaving the game early, looked like he was a little distressed coming off the court, but I think that was just a cramp. We, we haven't heard anything official from UConn. Aman, I don't know if you feel any differently about that, but I don't think that's anything to be worried about. Uh, I guess we won't know for sure until Friday night or Saturday, but I'm not worried about that at this time. Yeah, I think they, I think they told us it was a cramp. I'm not sure. They might've mentioned that in the post game, but mm -hmm. um, I, I completely agree that, you know, the way Dan Hurley handled this has absolutely helped him out. Um, or, well, it looks good. It looks good for him, the way he's handling this. Um, it could pay off in March. It can also pay off, you know, on the recruiting trail when a player is thinking about, you know, is this someone who will take care of my professional interests? And hopefully this is some proof that the answer is um, yes. The Villanova game, I mean, this is what we signed up for. I think that's what's really awesome about it, right, is we're so happy UConn's back in the Big East. We think it's a great idea, and here's proof positive. This weekend, there's going to be a game Saturday, 1 p.m. on Fox. Villanova's a top-10 team. UConn, you know, should be a top-25-ish team. They might not be in that moment officially, but uh, it's going to be a huge matchup, and um, that's super, super exciting. We should not take it for granted uh, it used to very much not be our lives to be wrapping up conference play and talking about good games. So um, I'm just, I mean, I'm, I, 
I have feelings for this next game in, in a way that I have not had anticipation for a men's basketball regular season game in years. Yeah, I'm so excited for it too. I mean, especially when you factor in that, you, you know, long before COVID, these two teams squared off last year at Philadelphia at the Wells Fargo Center and UConn hung with them and led for good, good chunks of that game. Um, and that was without, you know, a more experienced James Booknight, Noah Damasinogo, uh, Isaiah Whaley's, you know, become one of the best post defenders in college basketball. Uh, there's been a lot of growth from this team uh, and Andre Jackson too. So I'm, I'm excited to see how this team matches up against Villanova. I think it's going to be a tight game. I know Villanova as usual has one of the best offenses in the country, but UConn's defense has looked better as of late. I was a little concerned after that first Providence game, but they seem to have kind of tightened it up and turned it around. So it'll be interesting to see. It, it should be uh, a fun one for sure. Hopefully a cook is back and you know, available to play at least a handful of minutes. I think he is a really underrated X factor and we were kind of all clamoring for book night's return and he's been especially important, but a cook's minutes in that Xavier game were just unbelievable. Even in it, you know, I think he played 10 minutes. He impacted the game in so many different ways. So if we can have both of them in some capacity against Villanova, it gives the Huskies a really good chance to win quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, the, the lineup with Cole book night, Martin, Polly, a cook, like or Whaley shit or wait. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving three or four very good players on the bench there, but like, wow. Like that's an insane lineup for, for you going to be having. And again, when you think about that, you got to sky's the limit, you know? Uh, so wet and wild stuff. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all for listening.